So because the sermon series that we're on right now is uh, the Psalms, um, our scripture this morning comes from Psalms 3. Um, just a few little uh, introductory notes. Um, you might see in your bulletin the italicized word Selah um, within the psalm. Um, no one knows exactly what that means. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's possible that it's some kind of musical direction. So, yeah, so we really don't know what it means. Um, the other thing is we left out the introduction to the psalm, um, which I'm going to read right now. It is a psalm of David when he, fret, when he fled from, his, from Absalom, his son. Um, now, if you would rise for the reading of the word. And join with me. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Selah. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. Selah. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Andrew, thank you for leading us in that. Uh, When I was 20 years old, no one would have trusted me with that, so it says something to your character. Uh, And... uh, And I would have been scared to death to do it. So thank you for leading us. It's been a crazy week, hasn't it? Samford? Fair Fawcett? Then Michael? We have... um, And I was gone all week, so I was... uh, just catching in here and there. I was at a conference and talking about uh, um, worship and things like that. And so I, I, I was kind of in and out. I could barely see the TV. I was uh, out late, um, just praying for you, of course, every time when I was out late, doing nothing else. Um, and, yeah. And uh, uh, so it's just this uh, crazy deal um, with all these things happening. I was with a, uh, a person who was... Um, who's about 55 and uh he said you know he he's like the fair faucet died and he's like utterly crushed you know and uh, he said this is my you know my heartthrob this is this is like you know Lonnie Anderson or something and uh these are huge this is huge for me and uh I, and then of course like the next day Michael dies and I'm going oh my goodness this you know this is like these two icons for each of us um and uh and uh and it was just a strange time. And, of course, I was with a bunch of 20-some-year-olds, too, and who think that Michael's music career started with Dangerous, which is dangerous uh, uh, and, and sad. Um, so I don't know even if they're... Uh, download off the wall and listen and enjoy and be transformed. Um, I was thinking about moonwalking onto the stage but uh, in tribute, but I'm not very good at it. Um, okay. Let's go to the um, to the scriptures in Psalm three. Psalm three is a strange psalm, um, as you see. The title of the sermon is uh, "Did um, Did Did We Just Pray That God Would um, Punch Somebody in the Mouth and Break His Teeth?" You know, uh, it's not doesn't seem very Christian, does it? Um, 
And I was going to start with these lists of questions about betrayal and family and uh, family betrayals and uh, 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 have you ever felt under attack? And I started these questions and I was running through them all and I was like, these are silly questions. Of course you have. Of course you've felt betrayal. I don't have to like some, you know, crazy thing. Have you ever felt betrayed before in your life? You know, uh, no, we, we, we do feel it and we have had it and we have been hopeless about it and confused about it in our circumstances and doubtful in it and angry when someone betrays us. Can I say angry when someone betrays us? Maybe angry? Yeah? This is why I love the Bible so much because it's about real life with a real God and real people and real life situations. It's a real world kind of thing where we have to deal with a real God. And um, this passage actually starts where, um, uh, and it's easy to not know where these things start in the Psalms because, you know, if you read some of your English translations, they have those little italicized parts that are kind of the headings. Well, everywhere in Psalms, besides Psalms, they're made up. They're just, you know, like to help you guide through the book. But in the book of Psalms, they're actually in there. That's actually what's in the oldest texts we have, the Masoretic texts and before them. Uh, those are actually, actually in the Hebrew Bible, Psalm um, 3, 1, it doesn't, isn't, O Lord, how many are my foes, but a Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. So that's, that's, that's number one. The header, the liner notes are important. Um, and it gives us the sense of things that, 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 that what this may be, um, singing about, if you will. What, why, why we come to this place? And, um, and it's important because it does talk about, um, betrayal. King David is in the middle of a family betrayal. His enemies, in this case, are led by his very son who want to destroy him. If you go back into the Bible and you kind of pick out in 2 Samuel where this stuff all is going down, you understand what David is going through as he's penned these words for us as he's, uh, as he's writing this. He's running for his life. His son Absalom is trying to kill him and take his throne. And it says that, that Absalom was, quote unquote, day and night conspiring against his father. Israelites would come into Jerusalem and Absalom would sit there at the, ta- at the, the gates of the city where the elders would meet. Um, um, and he would, he would say things like this. See, I'm reading now from uh, 2 Samuel. See, your claims are good and right. People were coming and longing for justice and sit at the, elder gate, at the gates uh, as elders. He says, your, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on part of the king, my father. Oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land. The scripture says that Absalom stole away the hearts of Israel. He stole away their hearts and turned them away from his father and his king. So by the time this psalm is written, Absalom has actually caused thousands of Israelites to betray, to conspire, to commit high treason against David. And David has just now barely escaped Jerusalem that is now under siege or occupation by Absalom's troops. This is the context of this psalm. And it is so much worse. The scripture says that Absalom does something that is odious. Odious is a great scriptural term. Uh, you know, it only could be in the Bible, you know, a term like odious. But if you did the Giorgio International Version, it'd be really jacked up. <laughs> and so while David is gone, Absalom does this. He has his way with his father's concubines. While David is gone, the scripture says, they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Odious. 
jacked up. Absalom purposely reviles himself with David's wives to make a strong line between whether you're a follower of David or you're a follower of Absalom. Now, I am not a professional counselor, but I would call this dysfunctional family relating. Your son is trying to kill you after having sex with your wives. It is almost unreal. Like a reality, t- like reality TV, unreal. Uh, it's almost like something that you'd see on Fox. But that's precisely the point, isn't it? It's When we're in situations that are so difficult and when we're in situations that seem hard to put our heads around, isn't it exactly what it feels like almost unreal? Like no way these circumstances could happen to us. And what does David do? David sings. He composes a hymn. He writes poetry and he sings. In the middle of this injustice, he sings. And it's not just, wow, isn't that interesting? It's actually leading us to sing too amidst our hard circumstances. The Psalms are the Hebrew, the, the Israel the prayer book. This is, our, this is the hymnal for God's people. So publicly, we're to sing these kinds of things together. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm like tired, I get grumpy. You know, if it's a hard situation, then it really doesn't matter if I treat you poorly. Because, you know, I mean, I'm having a bad day. My temper gets excused when, when, when money's tight or I'm just stressed out right now. At least in my own mind. I rationalize my selfishness when the store closes early. I feel injustice when somebody cuts me off in line. The world is against me when I do not make the light. And I can dishonor somebody's name in a second just to vent. And then if someone's doing it on purpose, they're trying to conspire against you, then all gloves are off, game on. We can bring the noise any way we want to, right? King David and Psalm 3 through the Spirit teaches us another way. We think that if the stronger the attack, the heavier the oppression, the more freedom we have to do whatever we want. But he's asking us to move into a more human, more healing, and more healthy way. David's grief is reasonable here. He's supposed to be frustrated. But this is put in our text today and in the hymnal of Israel to teach us how to sing. Yes, a song of lament. Yes, a song of complaint. But a song that is crying out for justice and mercy alike. Look, this is simple. There's only two points to the sermon. There's a bunch of subpoints, so it's not going to be long. It's not going to be short. Sorry. Um, it's go to God and pray that He would go for you. Go to God and pray that He would go for you. We're to go to God. As we think about these things, I want you to pick one of your betrayals. Let's not make it the most complicated and difficult one, the one that hurts the most. Make it a second tier one so we're not all out, like splayed out in anger and all that stuff. 
Don't take a simple one. Take one that's a little bit complicated. And I want this psalm to help us sing through it, meditate on it, so we might learn how to start singing through it. So I want you to think about that as we go through these things. Because what the scripture teaches us to do, Psalm 3 specifically teaches us to do, is to go to God with the way things are. Look at verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? What is David doing? He's actually doing exactly, he's, he's proclaiming, declaring things exactly as they are. You know what's happening? Many are rising up against him. You know what he says to God? Many are rising up against me. The reality is that they are increasing in number and he is trying to figure it out. See, David is actually starting his lament and starting his singing, if you will, without fluff or hyperbole. And this is a poem, so you granted a little bit of hyperbole in a poem, right? You get to say it a little worse than you, than you, if it was a little worse than it was. He doesn't take some approach of heroic martyrdom where it's really not that bad. And he doesn't take some approach to make it sound so much worse. There is no exaggeration. He is not embellishing and he's not denying. He's actually just saying the way things are. And I think that we have something to learn about that from him. That we would go and, and, and not over or underdo the reality of our situation. We could just be frustrated for frustrated for when things are frustrating. We wouldn't have to over or underdo it. Listen, I read a lot of uh, of stuff that uh, that that actually frustrates me. Uh, there's one uh, author who is an v- incredible counselor. I'm not going to name him because uh, I didn't. I don't want you to all just not read his books because they're worth reading. But he does something at some point that just makes me want to like this because he'll be talking about an emotional uh, response that somebody has to him and it, if he feels betrayed and he uses terms like um, abused or even worse raped and it it gets you so caught up in the way things happen to you that, that you start filling it in with extra stuff now I got no problem with saying that something feels like that but what do you do when it actually happens you got to have vocabulary for that and we're overdue our stuff sometimes. And then we do the other thing where we way underdo it. It's not that bad. Bless your heart, it'll be okay. It's No, 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 it's okay. You have other children when you lose one in pregnancy. What? No, it's just wrong and awful. There's no way to minimize the fact that you just lost a child. We over or underdo it and we need to not. We need to say things as they are. Just say things as they are and be honest. It takes a radical faith in God in order to say things the way they are. Not over or underdoing it. But here's the good news about it. It's not just as they are and going to God as they are. It's that we go to God just as we are. Look at verse 2. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Maybe the better translation is, there is no salvation from God. If you have an ESV instead of an NIV, you'd see that there. I think that's actually the better translation, but the meaning's the same. You get it. No salvation from God. Uh, God will not deliver him. It's absolutely clear from the passage in first, in first, uh, uh, in second Samuel that that's exactly what's going on. See, the question is, who's gonna lead the kingdom? The kingdom of God at that point of theocracy? Who's on God's side? Who carries God's weight? Where does it come from? And Absalom's going, no, it's gonna be mine. So the kingdom is, he's, what he's saying is, there's this possibility that I'm not the guy anymore, even though he said I, said I was to be. There is no salvation for him and God. And you understand when these situations get like this, this, the situations you've been thinking about, when things are the way they are and you feel betrayed, and you're like, 
questions of salvation come up. If this is true, could God deliver me? If this is true, could God, this happen to me? Could God move in this thing? See, what happens in 2 Samuel is really kind of interesting. Um, uh, there's this guy who, who just shows up on the scene as they're heading out of town. And uh, by heading out of town, I mean escaping for their lives. Um, uh, they, they, they come up and this guy comes up and starts cursing David and saying that you are no longer gods. You are no longer of the covenant. You are not. You are no longer the covenant representative, the one who's the uh, the the, um, the king of Israel in the in the theological sense, and not just the the uh, the political sense. You're no longer the one who will go for us as a king. And of course, David's men are pretty ticked off. They're leaving Jerusalem and their families and all that stuff anyway. So what they do is they're like, "Well, I'm gonna kill this mocker, right? I mean, of course, why not?" Um, and uh, and David goes, "No." Who is to say that he is not right? God will figure this one out. This is an amazing thing to me. David has, this is the post Bathsheba, post murderer, adulterer David. He's kind of figured out that his own strength ain't going to make anything happen. He's the one that says, God's going to do what he's going to do. I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And he's going to do what he's going to do. And I'm going to come just as I am. Not as someone who has this kind of rightful earned place as a king for my own strength. But one who he knows now only if God is merciful. Only if he is kind. Only if he forgives me for my adultery. For my murder. Will he let me be king again? Curse David? David says, maybe. I have no presumption here. I do not know. Not that Yahweh would abandon him as a personal or individual, but may abandon him in terms of the plan he has for him. David does not go overboard and and starting to claim his rights. You see, it really is like a Billy Graham crusade, you know? Just as I am, without one plea, but that that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bid me come to thee. We don't come clean. We come to be cleaned. We don't come right we come to be made right. We don't come uh, good. We come to be made good. We go to God just as they are and just as we are. And this is why I love Sister Mary Pat, who I grew up with or was for about three years. Sister Mary Pat. I grew up Catholic for those of you who don't know. Sister Mary Pat was the, my favorite nun of all nuns because, well, she was wonderfully irreverent. But, um, but one time, and my mom told me about this because my mom was doing something over on the side and uh, Sister Mary Pat was trying to work this Sunday school deal where uh, where kids were going to be able to learn more and the, 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 the priest or whomever else or for some reason it didn't get to go through and she was very frustrated by this and she uh, my mom tells her the story where she's kind of uh, on the backside here and no one she can't be seen my mom can't be seen and Sister Mary Pat walks straight up and she was about to kneel to pray which you do in the Catholic Church when you yeah, okay so uh, you, you about to kneel to pray and she stopped and she got up and she goes, take this job and shove it, and walked off. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's not like she was really going to be done with it. But she needed to cry out to God and lament and in, and in um, frustration and complaint. This job stinks sometimes. Take this job and shove it. How beautiful. Just as things were, just as she was. I could have faked a kneel in a prayer, but it wasn't going to happen. So take this job and shove it. I'm gone. 
But we do that. That's a beautiful thing to kind of think about. But the other flip side of it is, is we don't, we don't do things just as they are, just as we are. I was visiting a friend of mine in uh, jail, a younger friend of mine in jail. And, um, I've spent time with him lots and lots. I helped, I mean, I basically knew him since middle school all the way to, uh, he's probably 25 or so now. And we were going to visit him and he, um, had this kind of resistance to tell me what was going on. And I was going, dude, you, you know, why are you here? And he was telling, you know, you have like 20 things you've done wrong. And you tell them the three, like, um, I was kind of mean, you know, or something like that. You know how this goes. You know how confession goes like this, this is how kids go too. go ahead and start with your worst one car, uh, Carver or Springer, you know, start with the worst one. Cause that's where we're going to end up. So might as well get it all over with quickly. Right. Well, so my, my friend was uh, kind of telling me what's happened. I'm like, you are in jail. You, this wasn't, this is, you know, and I've known what, who he was running with and figured out what it was. And he was just not saying what he, why he was there. And I said, so I said, I went, Larson. Aiding and abetting, assault, possession, which one was it? And he just kept going. I said, man, you have got to tell me what's going on because you can't get fixed. You can't be redeemed from where you're pretending to be. You can only be fixed or redeemed from where you actually are. You got to go ahead and come with it. You can't fake it. This is too serious. You've got to say what's actually happened. Just as we are, just as things are. wide-eyed, looking at the way things are, looking at the way we are, so that we can repent of our sin or report accurately to God the sin against us. So that's what we're doing. But just to kind of get this authenticity thing up would not be enough. Because... Because authentic is great, but if there's no power behind it, if there's there's nothing that's going to change, then now you've had a great expression, you know, Great, wonderful. Now I deal with reality and there's still no hope, you know. But what happens is, is that the, the, the psalm teaches us not just how to go to God, but why we're able to go to God with these things. And it's because of who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. Look at verse 3 now. For thou, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. That's another translation. For this one it's, but you are a shield about me, around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. Uh bestow glory it's you know how sometimes hebrew is hard to translate so bestow glory you are my glory you get it it's basically the same thing you see david actually is talking about who god is he actually names them these names are not don't exist actually uh until this uh until here the shield does one place earlier but everything else is is kind of made up names for god Uh, that get uh, scripturalized, if you will. And David calls him a shield. He, he's looking into who God is, uh, and that's why he's coming to him. He's going, no, no, what else would do I need when I'm actually being attacked? You need a shield, right? This is what's literally happening. He's running for his life. I need someone to protect me. I need a shield, and that's what he calls God. He talks about him being his glory, the weight. There's another word, glory and weight are the same word in Hebrew. The heaviness, the import. You're the import of my existence. And you're the one that gives me import. Wait. What other and more important thing is he, is he, is he, is he talking about then when there's this battle about who has the import of the king? Your import bestowed upon me. His glory, not our, not ours. Now think about the time I was talking to you about earlier. Tell me your head was not laid down. Tell me your chin did not rest on your chest. The lifter of my head. 
That's what he calls our God. Put your head down in discouragement and perplexed, being perplexed, heartbroken. Think of your son's betrayal, your parents' betrayal, your family betrayal, with the awful circumstances you're in, if the economy's jacked, everything. We don't have no money, we don't have nothing, nothing's working. He is the lifter of our heads. And it's not just because he's who he is, but he is who he is because he's what he's done. Look at verse 4 and 5. To the, to, to the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. See, there's a remembering of his actual care for you in the present while you're going through your stuff. Now listen, I think it's a spiritual discipline to do this. But I also, but I also think it's important to be true. Now here's what I mean. We're in the middle of our junk. We're in the middle of that betrayal. And what we often do is we either minimize or maximize, right? But we're not to look at just our experience of it, but who the Lord is and what kinds of things he has done. Not just in the experience of that moment, but things in the past. Because you have to rightly assess who God is. There's plenty of you who've suffered deeply in this place. And we've walked with you. And you're like, not just take this job and shove it, but I'm not sure that I can go on. And I'm not sure who God is in this circumstance. And what I've tried to do is to have you guys have elephant memories of who the Lord has been in the past. What has he done? And is that just as true? Is that true too? Because that will give you great encouragement for the future. Is it true that he has kept you? Is it true? I mean, David could just be complaining how he's out of his home and castle and he's not all those other things. But he also recognized that that the Lord let him escape with his life. That he could have been sabotaged right there and killed and be done with. And it's led him to sing of God's faithfulness in those things. And not just that, in the second Samuel passage, there's a, he really does go to the Mount of Olives, to the Holy Mount if you, if you, that you see in the scriptures. And he is given rest. After running for days and days and days, he's given rest there. God, in the middle of his circumstances, very difficult betrayals, gives him a good night's rest. He gives him sleep. And whether that's a metaphor or reality for you, that has to be accounted for. That you have had good conversations. You have had people love you and hold you and hug you in the midst of very, 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 very difficult betraying situations. And that needs to be testified to, to your own heart as you move forward and you deal with God and deal with all these hard issues. Those are real issues. And then he goes on further in the next verse. He talks about it, um, uh, not just what he does, what has, what has happened, but that now he will not fear ten thousands of people who drop against me. So he's looked to who God is. He's looked at what he's done in the past and what he's done presently. And he moves all the way forward and says, and now in the future I can hope as well. All parts of time are tied here because of who the character of God is in this. And he sings it into being. There are 10,000 that are going to come on either side. And now he will not fear. Even though he came to him honestly fearing beforehand. Because he's remembered who he is, what he will do, and what he has done. Now listen. David didn't trust David. Right? It's not I will trust in 10,000. I will count my chariots and I will deal with this. David knew that he was a murderer, an adulterer, a liar, a deceitful guy. 
He knew he wasn't the greatest lover of Absalom. And I'm sure like any parent, he thought, maybe this one is my gig. Maybe Absalom's turned on me because I really ought to be turned on. Who the Lord, who David trusted in, was in the greater king. And he didn't know it then. He did know he was trusting Yahweh, but he didn't know that Yahweh would send his son a thousand years later. He didn't know that David's greater son, not Absalom, but the great David's greater son, Jesus, would reign in utter righteousness, that he would love his enemies, and that we, who have the benefit of knowing the greater son, that we can go to him just as things are. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall, just as we are. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wretched, sick and sore, because of who he is, the Son of God and Savior of the world, the forgiver of our sinfulness and the sins against us. He is the one that forgives forgives us when we're the oppressors and the betrayers, as well as helping us forgive those who betrayed and oppressed us. Son of David, the Scripture calls Him in the New Testament. Jesus, Son of Man, Son of God. Because of what He's done, He's come to forgive us, to restore us, even as betrayers. And what will He do? He'll come to judge the living and the dead. What is he? Who is he? What has he done? Great David's greater son, Jesus, is what this is about. Is who even, who even David is leaning on in this, though he only knows him as Yahweh at the time. So now, let's get to the hard part. Because we've done how, we've done why. But how do we sing? What's our song about? And this, as the people who look on this side of, uh, of Jesus' coming, just want you to lean into it for a little bit. We don't just go to God. We ask God to go for us. We actually ask Him to make movement in the world, to change things and to shape things. And this may be a little unnerving to us here in just a little bit, but I think it's good. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance, maybe a better translation, salvation. May your blessing be upon your people. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, probably better save me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked. He is singing for justice. He is singing for things to be made right. Did we just pray or has he just prayed that God will break the teeth out of the dude, somebody who's after him? Yes, it's exactly what he just did. He is singing that all things would be made right, that things would be restored to their right place. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Arise, O Lord, like awake, O sleeping giant. Come and bring the freaking noise. A just judgment on my enemies. Now, this is the crazy part. This is the hymn book of Israel. Not only is David singing in his quiet time, this gets brought to the entire community and they sing it as well. You know the song, 
Thou, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory. No, you don't. You're the lifter of my head. It's like some chorus from then. No one sings. Thou, O Lord, strike all my enemies. Bust them in a jaw. You know, no one does that part. But Israel did. <laughs> it reminds me of, you know, that Grand Torino I talked about last time where he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to bite your face off. That's what it sounds like. I'm going to bite your face off. Look, when I became a Christian, I'm, I'm a, I, I was a pacifist. I still mostly am. Uh, uh, I, I didn't even like singing with the kids for he has triumphed gloriously and the horse and the rider fell into the sea because they were dying, right? But that was my problem. I didn't understand justice. I didn't understand that we actually want things to be moved forward rightly. My poor understanding of God. Now, this is not a sermon for you to go and now act that out. Who's he praying to? God to do it. You don't do it. You're not allowed to do it. Our violence is violence of love of neighbor that, that, that breaks down other things. And let God, you know, let God do what he's going to do, however he's going to do it. Think about school killings and office killings, Darfur and mass murders. Do not, do not hesitate to pray that the hand of the gunman would be broken. Do not hesitate to do that. Those are good instincts. There is a right anger there. But carry those over into your own life situations, the only, the, the sins that are oppressive to our own selves. Be Lord of justice over the internet and the internet that I keep watching. Pray for the bringing down of the own things that you resurrect, that you lift up in your own heart. Pray seriously for for prisons to be freed, that whorehouses would be stopped, that we'd have justice in our cities and our classrooms. You are to pray and sing for justice. Sing for justice. There's more, which is really crazy because he's not just singing for justice. He's singing for mercy as well. From the Lord comes deliverance or salvation. May your blessing be upon your people. We don't just sing for justice. We sing for mercy. Save me, O Lord. Deliver me. Oh, my God. That part in the first part, that was easy. We see he's asking for mercy, comfort. That's great. But when you do may your blessing be on your people, you've done something radical. Because who is he fighting right now? God's people in the middle of a civil war. He's actually praying for his enemies a thousand years before Jesus was told to do it. And he's not looking to himself as the righteous one, but looking for one who would be. He's foreshadowed Jesus' reign. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Even my son Absalom. If you read Samuel, he is very careful to make sure that no one kills Absalom. Now, somebody does. It doesn't go well for that guy. But someone does. Absalom actually gets caught in his own glory. His own, he gets, he's riding on a horse and his hair gets caught in a thicket and he, he's kind of dangling there, you know? It's like his own beauty, his own self-made glory is the thing that catches him. 
And that's how the Lord was going to use it. And then a vengeance person came in and killed him. But David was mourning and weeping for the loss of his son. And even as people are set up to attack him, he is saying, no, the Lord's be blessed, the Lord's blessing be on all of Israel. Not just my first enemy, my son, who I don't want to be my enemy, break his teeth, but save his soul is what he's saying. And to all of Israel, it's divided. Yes, you may have to take him out at the knees, but help him walk to you. Let him collapse upon you when he does. What's that mean for us? We pray that the, hunt, the, the hand of the gunman to be shattered and we pray that God would meet him there and that the heart of the gunman would be shattered too. And his anger will be brought to beauty and dignity. We pray that the murderer would stop murdering. And we pray that he would meet the one who died for murderers. We pray that pornography, prostitution, war, abortion, death, in every front would stop. But we pray more than that. that God would meet all of us there who are murderous and pornographers and warring. We pray that empires, empires of greed and empires, nation states, too, would crumble. But that the pride of all of us would crumble too. Because we pray that the blessing would be upon your people. We pray for justice. We pray for mercy. That's what we do. And we do it in line with our wonderful King Jesus who taught us how to do all this stuff. He's the one that reigns over his people. He's the one that gives us words. He's the one that teaches us how to love our enemies. And I've already said before, you come to him as you are. I'm not trying to put a smiley face on the difficulty of things. I'm just trying to say, hey, we have a greater game that we're playing here. So we can suffer a lot. And why? If it was just David's good advice, I'd say, eh. But we have one who took on the oppression of his enemies in order to redeem them. Forgive them, Father, they do not know what they do. The persons that are whooping him, he is begging that forgiveness would be had upon them by his Father. That's amazing. That is not just a model for us. That's the source for us. That we would collapse upon him. Yes, God may have to break your teeth. But he broke his son so that he wouldn't have to take your life. If you come to him. If you come to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. We thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you took on God's wrath so that we might not have to. We thank you that you received the punishment of your oppressors so that we could stand up under punishment as well. And Lord, we do pray for justice in this world and in our own hearts. We pray that you would rid the world of all that is evil. But we also pray that you would be merciful to us who are evil too. In your name we pray. Amen.